So we are going to be continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. We're looking at Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21 today. So I'm going to read it. You can turn in your Bibles if you know where it is. If you don't, at the front of the Bibles, there's a table of contents in the New Testament. Um, Just keep looking for Ephesians. It's also going to be up on the screen. So I'm going to read it through, and then we're we're going to talk about it. This is Paul writing a pastoral letter. So the context is we read this book as a letter written to Christians. Then we seek to understand what was being communicated and then to then do the interpretive work of, okay, what's the principle or the truths that I need to apply uh, from this text to my life? So this is Paul writing to an early group of Christians who are, have heard about Jesus, accepted Jesus, and are learning how to be the church in the city of Ephesus. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his purpose that is, in a, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This passage Uh, has a pretty logical sequence. Paul offers two prayers for the Ephesians, and then he ends with kind of an exuberant, spontaneous doxology, which is a fancy word that just means word of glory, praising God. So let's look at the two prayers first. Prayer number one, verse 16 and 17. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, let's break that down. Paul is saying, I pray that out of God's riches, he is going to strengthen you with power. So there's a need there. The Ephesians need supernatural empowerment. Through his spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in you through faith. So just notice the Trinitarian language. I'm asking for the Father to bless you with power through the spirit, so that Christ can dwell, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, what's called Trinitarian theology is really, really prominent through the book of Ephesians, which shows us that Paul wants new Christians to understand that it's very important to understand the nature of the God they're worshiping, one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, the word that he uses for power in verse 16, we talked about this a few weeks ago, is there's several different words for power that can be used, but he uses dynamis in Greek. Which, from which obviously we get dynamic or dynamite, an explosive, um, significant power. This isn't just like a little support. This is something monumental that he's asking. And when he says in your inner being, the Greek means inner man. It's, it's this idea, and some translations will say in your inner man, but it just means that what we would colloquially say, maybe like your deepest self or your truest self, that the, the central uh, place of your identity. Often the Bible uses the language of one's heart to convey that place of central 
uh, authority where the person's will and imagination and you know out of which the heart speaks out of which you know we live from our hearts in the sense not in the emotional sense of heart but in the biblical sense of out of this place of central commitments and our central inner being paul says i want you to be strengthened with power by god's spirit in your inner being why so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith the word dwell there is good for us to pause and dwell on because it's a Greek word, karokio. And I want to put this picture up because there's different inferences in the Greek when we're talking about words. When you see this word dwell, it's trying to convey the idea of a place of settled um, being able to dwell in a place in a settle, settled, relaxed, safe way. So it doesn't just, being mean, doesn't just mean being proximal to someone, that you're with someone. It means being able to be fully at home in someone's presence, and then being able to be fully at home in yours. Uh, I did a series last year called Abide, and that word is sort of the same. It's not just that someone is with you, but you can abide you can just kind of sink into their presence. And, you know, maybe you've had uh, a friendship, maybe in a marriage relationship or a dating relationship where there are just certain times in that relationship where it just feels like you don't have to work on things. And it's just, everything is relaxed. There's no distance. There's no relational or emotional distance. Um, you know, there's a lot of times in any friendship or marriage relationship where you're going to and fro and you're having disagreements and, and there's some kind of distance. There's some kind of interference of intimacy. And it might still be small, but you can't kind of relax in each other's presence like this because there's been things left unsaid or things said that need to be apologized for or addressed. Paul is drawing upon this picture of just being, being able to kind of totally let your hair down and saying, I want Christ to be able to abide in your hearts like this. So he's really pushing a metaphor or an illustration of what it means and what's on offer for Christians to walk with Christ in a way that they can experience deep intimacy. And he says, I want you to be strengthened with power so that you can have this kind of relationship with Jesus. Not just head knowledge, not just I'm going about my day kind of partnering with Jesus, that there is a closeness and there is an at-homeness that both I experience in God's presence and that I have made my life and my heart, in a sense, a home for God. There's no distance. There's no interference. So we can have relationships where we can get along with people because there's no presence of conflict and that's not bad that's good but this word leans much more in the direction of the biblical concept of shalom of kind of a holistic all-embracing harmony and paul says that's the kind of relationship with jesus that i want you to experience as the church in ephesus certainly individually but also communally and that kind of intimacy transforms even the mundane things of life. You know this in, in, in your relationships, in your friendships. You have that one friend who's just, the sympatico is awesome and there's high trust and you feel totally uh, comfortable and hopefully you're nurturing that in your other relationships and in your marriages. Um, but Paul is saying when that happens, just like in 
uh, everyday life, that just transforms your relationship to all of life. You just move through life differently when you uh, are able to dwell in the presence of God, when there isn't distance between you and God or between you and this person. Now again, Paul's not talking about a salvation issue. He's not saying um, Christ is dwelling in your hearts or he's not, and if he's not, then you're not a Christian anymore and you're not saved. But he's using the illustration to say, what kind of intimacy with Christ are you trying to cultivate in your life? Are you settling for like, I believe in Jesus and I'm trying to be a good person and I'm kind of going to church and doing some stuff, and, and, but I'm kind of moving everything under my own power and I feel a disconnection from God, or do I want to cultivate this kind of relationship? One of deep friendship with Christ. See, there's a difference between just being connected to someone and being in communion with someone. And the word communion biblically means kind of deep rapport, being able to live in a settled, at-home way with someone where your guard doesn't have to be up. You don't have to be defensive. And Paul says that's the kind of relationship with, that you can have with God through Christ. And when you have that relationship with God in Christ, it will begin to filter out into your other relationships as well. It will begin to transform your relationships. Once you live from that place of acceptance and love and um, being able to abide with Christ, and Christ can abide in your life in that way, as you seek to honor him in all things, that begins to spill out to your everyday life. That's what Paul wants for the Ephesians. That's the first prayer. Here's the second prayer. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have powers. The second time he's prayed for power. I pray that you would have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how high, sorry, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Okay, in verse 18, um, the way that translators, what they do in the Greek is they take the word exoschio, which means to um, be strong enough. It's not actually the word for power. The more direct translation would be, I pray that you would be strong enough or that you would have capacity to. It's the idea that there's a challenge and that you'd be able to rise to it. So Paul is saying, my second prayer for you is that you would be given power so that you'd be strong enough to do something. Strong enough to grasp Caralambano, which means to seize something or to overtake something, to take hold of something and to really kind of wrap your uh, hands around it, to get it, to not just kind of be uh, chasing it, but to be like, yeah, it's mine. I got it. I caught it. And, I, and like, I've seized it. I get it. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when I was thinking about those words that Paul says, I want you, I pray that you'd be strong enough, that you'd be given power to be strong enough to grasp the love of God. I thought about the kettlebells that I use in, in the gym. You have to become existio in order to lift these things for any duration of time. Usually the exercise is very simple. One of the common exercises that I do is called farmer's carries. 
and they're exactly what they sound like. Everyone did them 100 years ago. Just two buckets of water, and you just carry them for extended periods, 100 meters, 200 meters, 300 meters, 400 meters. And your shoulders and your arms and your forearms just burn, and you realize, wow, I've got to get strong quick if I'm going to be able to not just carry these things, but grasp them. Catalambano. Because one of the things that happens very quickly when you have sustained weight on something that you're trying to simply just maintain grasp on is your grip strength weakens very, very quickly. You're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Oh, I can't do this anymore, right? How many of us have tried to take, um, heroically, admittedly, too many bags of groceries? From, I'm only gonna, one trip, it's only gonna be one trip. I'm gonna do this, do this bad boy in one trip, right? And then you get halfway there, and your just arms and hands are burning, right? Because you don't have the exus chio to catalambano your grocery bags, right? And that's part of the reason why I train at the gym. Not simply so that I can carry grocery bags from my van into the house. I want to be excess geo so that I can catalambano my kids one in each hand and carry them and send them to their room if they need be. <laughs> I'm training for functional fitness. I need to be able to be strong enough to intervene and grasp in situations so that we can prevent more chaos from being unleashed in our home. Paul says to the Ephesians, I pray that God would give you power, that God would make you strong enough. Now, don't, you'll, you'll move right past this next part because it's kind of like the church Bible answer. You'll be like, oh yeah, that's kind of neat. Um, I, I know this, it's like God's love. But think about what Paul is saying. How would you have finished that sentence? Ephesians, I want you to be given supernatural power because you need it in order to what? Um, live in this world faithfully for Jesus. You, you fill in the blank. Whatever challenges in your life, you think God, Paul might have addressed that. Uh, um, God might have addressed that through Paul, but Paul says what you actually, the, most, the thing that you need the most significant empowerment for is to be able to grasp the love of God. The love of God is like a kettlebell. And God can reduce it to like a little five-pound one that anybody can lift. And he does. He accommodates us. But Paul says, I want you to understand how wide and deep and high and long is the love of Christ. But you actually won't be able to do that in your own strength. God's love for you is so glorious. It's so heavy, kavod. But the Hebrew word for glory is the same word as heavy. It's so kavod, you actually need supernatural empowerment to grasp it and hold on to it. Because it will just like burn up your mind and your heart in the same way that carrying those grocery bags will. Because God's love for you isn't something that you can just be like, oh yeah, I picked that up, I get it. Yeah, that's great, thanks God. God's love is so big. And Paul is saying, I want you to know that love, but you're going to have to develop power. And it's going to have to come from God. I think it's a really amazing thought. Maybe it's something we don't think about enough. That the love that God has for you is so weighty that it actually requires power from on high 
to grasp it and to hold it. And then Paul says in verse 19, I want you to be filled to the fullness of the measure of God. And the Greek word there is plero. And it literally means to come to an end of something, to um, uh, increase to capacity, or to be stuffed. You're stuffing something, and there's just no room anymore. So it's not just like, oh, I want you to you know, fill this cup and to kind of fill it up 80%. It's not that. It is take it to the full measure. And when I thought about this, I thought about another reason why I go to the gym, and that is I love food. And this is a really big epic fail, actually. I got the wrong picture. I was totally thinking the Golden Corral because I was just there a few, uh, a, a few months ago, but I Googled Bob Evans for some reason. I've never been to Bob Evans. Maybe you can gorge yourself there. But I was th- just in your mind's eye, just replace that with a picture of the Golden Corral. Because you go to this place, and you know, uh, I went there with Rick, and that was a bonding time having meat sweats together on the ride home. And, you know, you go in there and, you know, he said, it's kind of like a, a Disney, it's like a theme park of food. You know, when you go to a theme park and you have like Futureland and then you have like Pirate, Pirate Island. And it's like, that's what it is like at the Golden Corral. And you're like, it's, it's very difficult just because of that space to move into and engage that space and to move out of it without being plero without being stuffed to maximum capacity. There's all kinds of encouragements to not simply just eat to your fill, but to eat to plero, to maximum capacity. Reach or eat to a place where you've come to an end, where you cannot fit anymore in your body because you have been stuffed with food. And this is an illustration Paul says, I want the fullness of God to be in your life in such a way that you feel spiritually stuffed, that you just are like, whoa, God, like, stop, I can't, (laughs) not another bite. The fullness of your presence, the fullness of your love, the fullness of your grace is so real to me, and it's kind of overwhelming. It's like, whoa. That's the prayer that Paul is praying for the Ephesians. And the fact that Paul has to pray that it does imply that it's very possible to live as a Christian without that fullness. Now again, we're not talking about a salvation issue. We're not saying saved or not saved. What we're saying is once saved, the quality and the depth of intimacy and your experience as you walk with Christ. Because Paul is saying, I want you to be full to the full measure of what God has for you. And in praying that, again, the implication is that it's very possible to not, to just settle for status quo Christianity and to walk with God and not progress in that walk and not deepen yourself and not challenge yourself and not taste and see that the Lord is good and continue to feast on his truth and on his grace in your life. So it's not a salvation issue, but again, it comes back to Christ dwelling in us in a way that is rich and pervasive. It's a shalom issue. Paul says, you're saved. That's awesome. You are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. Your salvation's secure. Praise God for that. It's not from your works. It's by grace. You can't boast about it. It's a gift. Praise God for it. But now that you are part of God's family, I want you to have a kind of relationship that um, doesn't just stall at 
yeah, like I get along with people and th- like things are okay. Paul says, I want you to be stuffed with the fullness of God. I want Christ to be able to dwell in you richly. And so are we growing in such a way that we're progressively entering into that fullness or do we feel stuck? Do we feel kind of plateaued, flatlined as a Christian? There's kind of a stalled resistance in our life. Maybe there's a certain areas that maybe we haven't even talked to God about, but in our own hearts, we've kind of said, I'm totally willing to obey God up to here, but kind of no further. Or I'll give God these areas, like full lordship over these areas for sure, but I'm not, he doesn't really get to touch this or comment on these things. And that's going to interfere. Not, again, not in terms of salvation, whether or not you're a Christian, but it's going to interfere in the quality of of your relationship Monday through Sunday, 24-7. And Paul says, I want, you to, I want Christ to be able to dwell in you richly. I want you to be stuffed with the fullness of God. And so are we handing over those things to Jesus? Are we even talking with God about them? Even though we're scared and saying, God, I don't know if I want to say yes to this or move forward here because it's scary. I don't know if I can be a first fruits Christian with my time or my money or my energy. That scares me. It's easier. My default is to make sure there's enough for me. My default is to take care of myself first. My default is to make sure that I'm getting the glory. I'm getting the honor. I'm taken care of. But God, I also realize that interferes with our ability to have a strong friendship and connection. Would you give me faith and a desire so that that desire for that connection would override whatever fear or whatever faithlessness or whatever selfishness is getting in the way? So Paul prays these two prayers for the Ephesians and then he ends with this really powerful doxology. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, dynamis, there's that word again, according to his dynamite power that is at work, energio, that is energizing us. um, We are being energized from the inside within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul is just so excited. He's like, Now to him, this is a God who can do more than you can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work with us. And these are really important verses to come back to and remember and to memorize because often we don't experience God working within us with that kind of energy and power. We might not be cognizant of it or aware or conscious of it, but the Bible says that God is working and often God is doing things behind the scenes And Paul isn't saying, hey, do you guys all feel it? Do you get the feeling, get the butterflies every day? He's not saying that. He's saying, I just praise God because I know God is working in you. And so don't be discouraged if you're moving through your Tuesdays and your Thursdays and your Saturdays and your hardships. You're like, well, I don't feel God doing anything. Paul says, God's dynamite power is actually at work within you. So give him praise and continue to fight for holiness in your life and to pursue Jesus. So how do we apply this text? Well, two things. Uh, The first one is just to always remember as a Christian, it's really, really important to prioritize the center and not the circumference. It's really important to prioritize the center and not the circumference. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians. If you were writing a pastoral letter to a church, a letter to instruct them about how to follow Jesus, you might expect 
the first three chapters to talk about this is what you should be doing. This is how you should be living. This is what your marriages should look like. This is how you should um, occupy yourself at work. Do this, don't do that. Paul doesn't get to any of that until next week, chapter four. The first three chapters have all been about understanding who you are in Jesus and cultivating strong connection with God out of that relationship. The most important thing in Christianity is developing a connection and a living relationship faith with Jesus. Many people, though, either think Christianity is about the circumference, do this, don't do that, the behaviors, but Paul in Ephesians is making it very clear. You want to transform life? You want to take hold of the life that is truly life? Don't focus on the circumference, right? Don't just keep saying, oh, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stop. I need to stop lying. I need to stop this habit. I need to start doing more of this. I need to start tithing. I need to start loving people better and just kind of willpowering yourself into it. There's a certain level of commitment that, yes, you need to wrestle with your sanctification. But Paul says, whoa, whoa, don't put the cart before the horse. I want Christ to dwell in you richly. I want you to be filled to the full measure of God. I want you to cultivate and understand who you are in Jesus. Prioritize the center. Paul says, be rooted and established in love in your inner person. Be rooted in the love of God. And then these other things you'll actually find fruitful growth in. But there's a lot of Christians who are trying to in a sense, live into the Christian life behaviorally or their attitude, um, their imagination, but they either don't have a strong relationship with Jesus or maybe there's someone who thinks that that's all there is to the Christian life. It's not really about a relationship with Jesus. Jesus taught some good things. I'll kind of integrate them into my moral framework and try and live like a Christian or like a good person. But again, there's no power there. And Paul says, you want to live the life that God wants you to have? You're going to have to have power from on high to do it. You, can, you can't take hold, you can't grasp, you can't catalambano this life on your own terms. You need to be given God's power. And this is why the law of God, broadly speaking, the instructions God gives his people, the Ten Commandments, good things, very good. Jews celebrated them, still do today. But the law is insufficient to actually save us from sin into the kind of life God wants. Very necessary, very good thing, but they are insufficient. They don't have the power to lead us into new life. Now, once we become a Christian, they can be very instructive. We can look to the law and say, oh, God's character is a God who is trustworthy and true and holy, so I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell the truth. On and on and on, and on it goes. But this is why Christians have always said, you don't, in a sense, become a Christian by obeying the law. You're saved by grace through faith then God begins to grow you up out of a living, growing, yes, struggling, but moving forward relationship with him. And so the question that some of us might need to ask this morning is, have we been dealing with issues on the circumference while at the same time ignoring the center? Again, there's been things we just haven't been talking to God about. We haven't been being spiritually been vulnerable. Maybe we've been reading our Bible, coming to church, but again, there's a kind of a wall there. Here and no further, God. I'm not really gonna take a day to fast and pray about something. I'm not gonna open myself up in prayer. I'm gonna say the right words. I'm gonna all keep up with my reading schedule. But there's a difference between just doing those things mechanically where we are sort of trying to hold God at bay versus saying, God, you know, saying to the Holy Spirit, search my heart, oh God. See if there's any 
sinful or ungodly way within me. You know, be willing to confront me and turn me from the path that I'm on to the path that I need to be on. I want to be filled with the fullness of your love. I want to be rooted and established in your love. I don't just want to know it as an idea. I want to experience it as a lived reality. And if that's you, if you're kind of like focusing on the circumference, not the center, maybe you need to enter into a season. Maybe that's a literal season in the calendar. Maybe it's just a month. Maybe it's longer where you are intentionally refocusing on intimacy with Christ. And if that is something that you need help with, you're like, I want that, but I don't really know what that would look like or how to go about doing that, please email me or talk to another uh, trusted Christian mentor to come up with some kind of a plan because you need to put some of these things in place. Just like if there's rupture in a friendship, you need a bit of a plan and process to come back together so that you can dwell in close friendship with each other. The second thing would be, and this is something that's going to apply to everybody and we can all do it, which is just pray these prayers. One of the most helpful things that I learned to do uh, not too long ago is to really double down on my commitment to just learning to pray the Bible. When I read the Bible, when I come across an idea, a turn of phrase, or a literal prayer that's being offered for someone else, I'll just steal it and be like, oh, thanks God, that's an awesome prayer. I would have never thought to pray for these things. I'll pray for this for myself. I'll pray for this for my marriage. I'll pray for this for my friends. I'll pray for this for my kids. I'll pray for this for this community. And again, some people have grown up in a culture where if you copy and paste these prayers into your own prayer life, that's not real prayer because real prayer is from the heart, so it's always spontaneous and that's totally rubbish, right? The songs that we sing aren't fake worship because someone else wrote the lyrics and you're just singing them right? What makes it genuine is that in your heart, when you're reading with the words, you're agreeing with the words and saying, yes, God. It's not fake because we're not all writing, singing individual songs to Jesus that we all individually wrote every week, nor are we spontaneously just singing to God together. And because we're not, because we have orderly, um, an, an order of worship, then that's somehow insincere, not genuine. So I steal prayers from the Bible all the time. And there's two right here. Pray them again and again. And this would be my challenge. Just for everybody, let's just do that for this week. Take these two prayers and every day, pray for different people in your life using these prayers. Just for this week, every day. Just see what happens. Because Paul, again, in this passage says, um, it's both a promise and a threat. The God that we are praying to and that, we're, and that we are worshiping can actually do infinitely more than we can ask or even imagine. So be careful. Because if you're like, God, I really want you to give me power so that I can fully grasp your love and I want that for these people. And you have a vision of what, how that might play out. Paul's like, you better watch out because it it's likely going to be bigger than that. Because we don't serve a God who is captive to our own imaginational boundaries. Let's do that this week. Let's pray both of these prayers every day for different people in our lives, and then let's expect God to do more than we can ask or imagine through them. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Ephesians. Thank you for these first three chapters that have really challenged us to focus on the center, which is what you have done for us in Christ, who um, you have made us in Christ, saints, no longer defined by our sin, but now defined by the righteousness of Christ. 
You've given us a new identity, a new life, God, and over these next few weeks, we're gonna be learning how then do we live into that identity? How do we live from a place of being rooted and established in your love? But help us to be people, and I certainly pray this for my own life, God, help us all to be people who are always coming back to the center and not getting distracted by the circumference. Help us to focus on you and to prioritize your kingdom um, and your glory and your righteousness, God, so that all these other things will be given to us as well. In Jesus' name, amen.